This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders. In addition, I've written a book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are and you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. The paperback and ebook versions are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to not only those individuals that want to get in this business, but for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name, each week. I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week in this business, it's always exciting to start somewhere and over a 20-year period of time, work your way up into an executive-level role. This next individual started as a box office manager, worked his way up to a VP role, traded teams for a few years, and is back overseeing all ticket sales, service, operations, and data analytics. I'm excited to have Steve Finelli, Vice President of Ticket Sales and Analytics for the Oakland Athletics. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate being here. No, absolutely, Steve, and I'm certainly excited for our conversation. You have a great career journey to discuss with our listeners, and I guess the easiest way is let's start from the beginning. You grow up in the Philadelphia area, certainly a sports area. You eventually move across country to the Bay Area. So first, like, what what made you make that move, you and your family make that move early on? Um, so we did grow up in the uh, Philadelphia area. My parents are both born and raised in South Philadelphia, I went to South Philadelphia High School, our family's all from that area, um, you know, and it was a very blue collar town. And, you know, obviously you mentioned it was rooted in sports. Sports were, that, that was the core for us growing up. We didn't go on a lot of fancy vacations. We didn't uh, spend summers traveling. We really just played sports or went to sporting events. And my dad and, and my mom participated. My mom was scorekeeper. My dad was always the coach. So, you know, Sports were rooted in our lives. And then as we moved to California, it was really my dad taking a real risk, the first, you know, a real risk in life, like leaving his family and 
leaving a place where he was born and raised and we were born and raised and moving us to an area where he felt there was some more opportunity for his boys. So I grew up with two brothers. Okay. Um, we all played sports. Um, and I guess if you think back to like one of the memories that kind of like that I always go back to that kind of drove drew me to the sports business. It's like, I have a picture of when me and my two brothers were sitting at veteran stadium in Philadelphia as kids. And my dad would take us to the ball game every Sunday. They had every Sunday, the Phillies were home. We were there. They they give away batting gloves or free bats or baseball socks or something we can actually use. So probably saved him from having to purchase them on his own. (laughs) But, you know, we go to the Phillies games and, uh, and sit and enjoy baseball together as a family. And like the, the feeling of being connected to my family, to the game of baseball, which we loved and played and participated in. It was just, it was a feeling that I always felt like, you know, I didn't necessarily have that strong career path knowing where I'm going to go, you know, was first person in my family that, that graduated from college. And I, I knew my dad always wanted what was better for us, but I knew something rooted in sports would make me happy. What was the, the sport you and your brothers, obviously, I'm sure it was a competitive environment growing up. What was your sport that you were the best at or that you could probably dominate or beat your brothers at? Uh, I would say football, though my youngest brother would probably disagree. He, he, was, a, he was a quarterback. I, honestly, um, I played center, which is, okay. I mean, you've seen me before. I was going to say, that's you know, hard like, to that's, tell for those of you watching on YouTube. Uh, you don't. It's a little I thought you would be the quarterback. I played linebacker, too. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean – but I played football since I was six years old, but we also played baseball. Um, and my dad coached baseball uh, for years. In fact, he's still coaching today. He's uh, he coaches special Olympic softball and, and basketball. So it's like That's we awesome. played every sport from street hockey to football, to basketball, to baseball every year. And it was, it, it I, I'd say I could beat my brothers probably at football for sure. Nice. I'm sure there's going to be a bet around the holidays during that time. And So then, Steve, you go on to become a Jayhawk at the University of Kansas where you received a degree in communication studies. You know, So as you're going through communications, I actually studied communications as well, like certainly not the sales route. What happened during college that went from, hey, you know what, communications to I, I need to be you know, kind of in the revenue generation part of it? Yeah, no, I think communications is great for, for a college degree. Really, it, it just stressed the foundational pieces um, that you'll need to take away from your 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 college degree. Like I, I focused on public speaking, um, problem solving, business communications, and and you know I didn't have an idea. I wish I I wish I did. It, it's maybe it's different now. I have a son that's a freshman at Cal Poly, and he's laser focused on he's going to be a civil engineer. And they declare their major now, and they work with their professors and get internships. When I was in college, it was more like this is an extension of your education, and I'm going to have to, like, build some skill sets that are going to be core foundational skill sets for whatever career I go yep. down, what path I go down. But but honestly, I didn't really look at, at like, picking a career in college. Um, so comps was great for me. You know, I, I learned to, I, I mean, put myself in some uncomfortable positions, speaking, public speaking. Um, I guess one of the first uh, projects that I did that kind of like even introduced me to the sports world is one of my business communications classes. The project was to try to solve a problem for a business or an organization. And I picked, uh, ironically enough, it's really weird, but I, I wound up picking how to solve a ticket and attendance problem for an NHL team for midweek games. So like 
I, little did I know I'd still be trying to figure out. Say, like 20 plus years later, you're still working through that. Yeah, seriously, right? So, um, but but honestly, it was like I reached out to that NHL club and they were extremely gracious in like talking to a kid in college that really didn't have a clue probably at the time, but asking the right questions and, and, and giving me some background so I can actually complete that project. But at that point, I started to think like, you know, there were no sports management degrees or, or KU didn't offer that as, as an option, but I thought like it'd be really cool to combine kind of the passion of growing up playing sports, growing up in a sports family, and then eventually working for a sports team at that point, no shot in hell that I was actually going to play, but you know, being involved somehow was being kind of part what the of it. dream was. And I think that's great advice for all of our listeners. If if there's listeners that are wondering, all right, what what do I want to do? And I was the same way. You know, I, I got to my senior year, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do in in you know college. And so having those degrees, just gaining as much experience as you can, you can apply everything you learn to your day to day, no matter what role you're in. Um, and, and so after graduation, you go back, uh, you know, from Kansas back to the Bay Area. And I'm sure at the time you had no idea you'd spend the next 20 plus years there, you know, in your career path. But your first job was with the Oakland Football Marketing Association as a customer service and ticketing manager. Walk us through that. How did you land upon that and what did that role consist of? Um, so I graduated from from Kansas. I had to finish up a summer school course, um, which I did remotely um, back in the Bay Area that summer after I graduated to get my degree. And uh, the timing was just perfect. The Oakland Raiders were moving from Los Angeles back to Oakland. And, um, you know, I, I really just got lucky and, and, and walked into the office one day and my dad took me to get a suit at JCPenney and I had my briefcase I got for graduation that had absolutely nothing in it. And <laughs> I went down there. Knowing it looked that good, though. I did. Well, depending, you know. <laughs> back then, it looked good. Yep. Uh, back then it looked great um and i walked into the into the office and and had a chance to sit down and talk about some potential opportunity because they were essentially building a ticketing team and a marketing group and a premium sales group from scratch and they're looking for you know as much help as possible and lucky for me i walked in and talked to the right people and presented myself well and you know, within an hour, I was sitting down answering phone calls uh, for 10 bucks an hour. And it was, you know, it was the biggest break of my life, essentially, in my sports career. And, you know, looking around at that opportunity and, and seeing like, this is essentially a startup. It's a new team that relocated back to the area and they're, they're scaling up dramatically. Uh, this is a great opportunity for me to just work as hard as I possibly can and, and hustle and try to get to know as many people as I can and, and try to get my career off the ground. And, you know, lucky for me, the, the Raiders and the team that had come back to help, you know, from Los Angeles led by like amazing sports leaders, some like someone like Amy Trask or Mark Bedane, who, you know, yeah. Amy's probably one of the most famous sports executives of all time and, and a real trailblazer. And, yep. you know, she's, there with sleeves rolled up talking to customer service reps making sure that you know they're saying the right things on the phone and and they're representing the Raider brand and and their organization in the right way and and honestly like that initial uh, impression of like you know this is what it will take to be someone like Amy Trask or you know at the time Mark Bedane was general counsel he's now president of the Raiders and you know walk the floor get to know the team 
understand, like show them what the Raiders and who they are and what they represent firsthand. And uh, it was impressive. And I mean, it was, it was very fortunate for me that to jump into that situation, but then also to have uh, that organization be as actively involved in your growth and development and as they were, and it was a great start to my career. No, and you, you hit on a couple of things, Steve, that, you know, I want to talk through is you mentioned, you know, hustling and making a name for yourself within that organization, but also, you know, that, that first job out of college, everybody sits there and says, all right, I'm going to probably have college loans. And now all of a sudden you take a job, 10 bucks an hour, you know, given probably similar on my end, no benefits. Like, what would your advice be to listeners of like, hey, you may not have that job that starts you out at 50, 60, 70 grand. You may start out at that 20, 25 grand, but here's the opportunity for that career development you spoke about. What's your advice yeah, for I, listeners on that? Now, you know what, Travis, I would have probably looking back, I would have done it for free. You know, like yep. it was it was about the opportunity for me. Yep. And it was about like someone took a chance on me. And I, even to this day, like, I will always like think about like those that have that mindset where if someone's taking a chance on you, like you understand that's the value and that's, that, that's the reward for the hard work that you're putting in and giving me an opportunity. Because honestly, like I said, I left college and, you know, while I was built of what I thought was a really strong foundation, I had a, you know, I understood the value of hard work, uh, you know, it's something that was instilled in me at a young age. I, I refined my public speaking skills. I like understood basics of business, I guess, you know, but, but ultimately like it's only as good as the chance that you get and you don't get a lot of chances. So, you know, it, 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 I wasn't going into that situation saying, look, look, give me 15 an hour. It was like, Hey, thank you. I'll sit down right now and start working. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, and Steve, you, so you mentioned you, you got that chance, you know, you delivered in on a big way and you talked earlier about like career growth and you had the right people, you know, two, two very you know, influential leaders there for you. And so then you ultimately land a job with, you know, just across the way with the Oakland A's as the, as box office manager. So how did that role come about? You know, obviously he's playing in the, the same facility, but, you know, moving on to the, the MLB side. Um, so I was really lucky again in that Oakland football marketing environment to have a, um, a gentleman that worked there and ran kind of the day-to-day -day. his name was Ray Christ and Ray was someone who was uh, played a, a number of executive roles for the Phillies the 76ers and prior to coming over to Oakland football marketing he was um, high level executive at the A's so um, Ray was kind of at the back end of his career at the time and him and I connected and he was gracious enough to spend you know hours on end talking about life and career growth and you know sports and he took a real interest in me as a person and and I, I mean seeing how Amy and a guy like Mark Bedane and the rest of the Raiders team was like understanding how to manage their brand Ray took really took me under his wing initially as someone like that maybe it was the Philly connection that we had since he worked for years and years in, in, in the right. Philadelphia area and he's from the Philadelphia area that he invested a little more in me. And, and maybe that was just dumb luck, or maybe it was me at that age, understanding like this is really a value to, to get to know someone of the stature in the, in the industry and, and learn from them. But Ray had come from the, from the A's recently. And uh, a lot of the folks that were working at the A's started to gravitate towards the Oakland football marketing association. So 
there was a natural connection between the organizations at the time. And when something opened up, he knew my love for baseball as well. And that, you know, that I was looking to get, you know, to that next level in my career, even though I was essentially just starting out and, and uh, he put in a good word and helped me get in there. And it was, you know, again, I wind up spending the next 20 years of my career there. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. You know, so to that point, you, you take that job as the box office manager and you spend 12 years, you know, kind of working in, in ticket operations, both in the box office, the director of ticket operations, and then the senior director of ticket operations. You then, after 12 years, you know, spending that time, you get promoted the executive director of ticket sales and operations and ultimately VP of sales and service. So a few questions on that, Steve. You know, first, what was your, what was the key in your first part of your career in understanding, you know, the ticket office side of things and the operations side of things yeah I'm I, so my first very first job from day one was just sitting and answering phone calls nonstop, right and and listening to fans what their concerns were what they expected from the experience I mean people don't pick up the phone and just call you to tell you you know hey I have a great day I'm loving what I'm doing they usually are picking up the phone in those types of situations to share an opinion and it's usually not positive things. not positive yeah better way to put it uh, <laughs> So, you know, I think what had happened there is like that really gave me an opportunity to like I had my uh, vision of like what a perfect fan experience would be. Uh, I heard then from hundreds of people a week on what they expected out of a fan out of the fan experience. Um, and, and I think then that operations background really just helped me, um, you know, get to where I'm going. So it's like that 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 understanding to me was key. And I think, you know, you you mentioned early on in your first job, like being able to roll up your sleeves and just it all comes down to hustle and effort. You know, even though you're in the ticket office, you, you're on the front lines. You're, you're dealing with customers at the window. You're picking up the phones. You're understanding that customer experience. And I think that's great advice for all of our listeners, no matter what role they are, is listen to what the customer's saying so you can adapt and pivot and figure out ways to be that elite organization. And, you know, cause I think that leads to the next part, Steve, it's, it's certainly not often you hear someone from the ticket operations leadership team move to oversee a true sales and service team. But, you know, it seems like in those 12 years in the ticket operations and you're getting hands-on and real life experience in the customer service, kind of customer service 101. What else did you do, you know, during your time there to prepare for that transition to, to oversee, you know, now the sales and service and operations unit? Yeah, I'm so just to step back for a second, the transition to the service to the sales world was one that you know, I wasn't even really pushing for. It was uh, it wasn't really on my radar, uh, honestly. Like I was very process oriented, operationally sound. Like I understood what the fan experience was and what they wanted. But I did look at the ticket operations piece as not as an internal service. Um, it was more of like, this is a key contributor to our overall revenues and our growth and development because of how we can impact the cost- overall customer experience. And, you know, I found, especially then, there were a, there's a lot of operation, ticket operations folks that are, it's like, let's just figure out a way not to potentially do things. And this is not a knock on ticket operations. I've consider myself a ticket operation right. expert professional, but it was always like, yeah, that, that may not work or that's not going to work. And the mindset that I always had internally was, you know, that could potentially work. Let's figure it out. And that problem, that key, the key thing there was problem solving. And for me, like built a team around with problem solvers and understanding that we were going to be problem solvers and, 
And so I wasn't ever pushing to get onto the sales side. But I think at the time, our general counsel, Steve Johnston, and our president of the A's, Mike Crowley, were, were, you know, interested in seeing what I can do if I took that same type of mindset to the sales team, um, you know, and and see how we can motivate and kind of transform that group to become like just a change of mindset and, and more process oriented um, and more goal oriented as opposed to, you know, kind of where we were at the time. And it, again, it was just one of those right place, right time. But I think my foundational skills that I brought to the table were exactly what the A's needed at, at, at that point. Um, and it was kind of just, let's build this thing up and and dry and drive process as opposed to, you know, volume and culture. And like yep. we created natural culture because we hired the right people and the best people that fit what we were looking to do. And we had a very diverse group. Um, but at the end of it, it was like, you know, how do we add a, this extra layer that really comp- came from the operations background to kind of create that perfect sales team. And, and I'll be honest, I, I, at the time I hired a, a, my first director of ticket sales, um, who was someone that I had hired in the box office years ago. His name is Brian DeTucci. He's yep. you know, still an indus- industry professional. And, yep. and Brian looked at, at his role as like, he's going to be the Bill Belichick of the ticket sales office. Like They're going to succeed because the playbook is going to be, you know, strong and folks are going to follow the playbook and the process as opposed to just creating their own individual businesses. And, and honestly, it was, it was a natural transition then in the sales when you looked at it that way, as opposed to, you know, how you'd set up a, a traditional sales org. And I, I've always said, and appreciate the, the transparency on that is, you know, good things happen to good people if they put themselves in a good position. You clearly put yourself in a good position, surrounding yourself with the right people. And a lot of those skills that you already brought in your first 12 years of, of leadership in the ticket operation are very transferable. You know, as you mentioned, it's it's all about the processes and the X's and O's. Like, you know, uh, I hate to say it, right? But but sales isn't you know rocket science. <laughs> like, you know, everybody can kind of do it if they put the effort into it. So you know, you were able to to put a lot of your skills to use. And so, as now a leader, and you're you're overseeing now operations and sales, and certainly a lot of different personalities. A lot of people built differently. A lot of people motivated with unique things. What is your advice on leading some of those different verticals and those different personalities to get the most out of everybody? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's a challenge. Um, it's probably the most rewarding part of my job in my day-to-day. Um, I'll step back a little bit. When I, like, probably the first two weeks on the job at the A's, I came over as the box office manager and Sandy Alderson was running the A's at the time. And and Sandy was going through his annual, like, let's pull people in and talk to them about, like, how they see and view the business. And two weeks on the job, I'm sitting in Sandy's office one-on-one, and he's sharing his philosophies on the sports business, and he's sharing, you know, how he looks at relationships and values relationships. And he's asking me what I see that we can do better as an organization two weeks on the job. I couldn't think of a more impactful moment for me in my career than sitting there with someone as accomplished as Sandy and, and really having that conversation and seeing him want to continue to learn and grow. And it, and it didn't matter where that opinion or that direction was coming from. Sandy was consuming it from everywhere, including a, you know, a rookie box office manager, 23, 24 years old. So, you know, and, and he was taking that and processing it. So I, I think, 
the way to manage that diverse group right now. And I always think back to like how Sandy operated and, and, and try to replicate and do the same thing is, but you need to be kind of intellectually curious, I guess, in order yeah. to, to really grow and understand. And you can't really be afraid to show vulnerability as a leader. And, and, and I think that's sometimes hard for people to understand and do like, they feel like you're put in this leadership position. You should know better than everyone and you should yep. lead and, and, yep. and push the team forward. And I think if you're authentic to yourself and you really understand that you're going to get through and progress collectively as a team, and it's about assembling the best team and a diverse group of people with diversity of thought in the room at all times, like that's where you're going to be your best. And while my role is to kind of to lead these groups and, you know, ultimately I got to make tough decisions and make the final call on things and, and that's fine. But my role really is to try to, I guess, facilitate that like collective process where like where we're working together and we're really pushing things to the next level as a team. And, and I can't do that if I don't show those type of vulnerabilities yeah. that give people the confidence to step up and say what they think and how things could be run. No, and I think that's great advice, Steve. The, the vulnerability is key. And to your point, it's very difficult. I think every leader, you know, myself, yourself included, struggle with that early on because you are looked at as that leader. You're the one that, that should be the expert. And it's like it's it's not a bad thing if you're going to be vulnerable and, and understanding what's going on on the front line. And, and I think that kind of leads into the next question. And I typically ask majority of my guests this question uh, because, one, I like to, to see a lot of the similarities and characteristics, but also there's some other ones. And you kind of mentioned some characteristics, but – Steve, you've hired a lot of great people in a variety of roles, not just in the sales role, but in a variety of operations and analytics roles. No matter what the roles are, what are some of those you know, few key characteristics that you're just always looking for because you know they're going to be really successful in this industry? Um, obviously hard work and hustle, Travis. I mean, it's the key to like what we're talking about. That, that was a, that was a little softball that I gave that you, That was right? a softball. <laughs> I mean, we keep digging into it, but those are the, that, that, that was the foundation for sure. Yep. Um, you want to look for, for, uh, folks that are coachable, like that you want them to have strong, you want people to have strong opinions, but you want them to understand like how to work together as a team and in a team environment. And you want people that are authentic at the end of the day, Travis, it's not, it's not that difficult to like to identify somebody who is authentic and self-aware and really like understands how they can contribute in a team environment and make everyone better. Um, You know, so that, that's probably it. I mean, I I, I think like to me, it's about relationships and I value the relationships more than anything. And and there are people that, that feel the same way and, and, those, those are the people that usually succeed. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook expert. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Steve Finelli, Vice President of Ticket Sales and Analytics for the Oakland Athletics. And so, Steve, you end up staying with the A's for 20 years. 
what was the best memory, you know, prior to coming back, what was your best memory from that time, you know, with the team? Um, 20 years, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for two memories. Is that, is that, okay? that that'll, <laughs> hey, that'll work. You know, we, we've got some time. One per decade. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think we get into this business because we want to be part of something bigger, right? So I'll, I'll lean, my first one I'm going to lean into, it's, it's definitely around the success we had on the field. So 2012 to me was like an extremely special year for the Oakland A's. I, I was there 20 years. We didn't win a World Series. We didn't make it to a World Series. We had some incredible teams, and yep. obviously everyone's seen Moneyball, like the job right. that the baseball operations team has done over that time to build perennial winners and great teams and like really fun teams to watch was, uh, to me, second to none, but I'm a little bit biased. But, you know, looking back at 2012, that was a really a special year, and I think in July we were like 13, 14 games out of first place, and we wind up clinching and winning the division on the last game of the season. Um, and it was, a, you know, contributing to like what I think was like it was a sold-out crowd, you know, standing room only, packed house, and it's, it was an afternoon game. And, uh, you know, we needed to come back, and Josh Hamilton, and a great player, but dropped a ball in the outfield that led to us coming back and winning that division. And like the energy in what the ballpark, a way to win. Uh, the energy in the ballpark that day, it was just like, you felt it just like coursing through your veins and experiencing that with my, with the rest of the front office team and the, and the, and the whole organization was just like a extremely special day. Cause you just felt a little bit like you create, helped create this environment by bringing the best fans in baseball into this, ballpark on this day and just making it almost unplayable for the Rangers that day. So that's you remember. I had to get get that one out. Absolutely. The other one for me is like, because we worked at the A's and we've been asked over the years to do and learn and do as many different things as possible. We wore a lot of different hats. We were that like natural Swiss army knife mentality. One of my favorite projects over the first 20 years is in 2008 and 2012, we worked with MLB International to take the organization to, to Tokyo to open up the season, and I played a key part in that from an operations perspective for, for the A's. Um, and just getting involved with MLB International and yeah. the travel there and, and seeing the difference in like how the culture and the in-game experience and really getting behind the scenes and seeing what it takes to pull off an event like that. MLB International, it's they did such a tremendous job like putting these events on, but the work that goes behind them and to have to be part of that process to me was really special. And it was like, yeah, I grew up in uh, you know ticketing is my background, sales, operations, retention, data analytics side, but to have an opportunity and to be given an opportunity to kind of lead that charge for the organization, it was special. Oh, what a great experience! And so along those lines, like as you sit back and remember that you went through it twice. Is there a certain meeting that, that comes to mind that you're like, you're sitting there and you're like, when I was at Kansas, I would have never imagined I'm sitting here talking about X or talking about this or meeting with this individual as you're going through some of that, those international games? You, you know, I, I just think to me, I just go harken back to like the uh, the clubhouse at the Tokyo Dome. Like I'm, I'm sitting in there like eating a sandwich and just <laughs> looking around like, Dude, you're really sitting in the Tokyo like, Dome. This right isn't now. real life. We're getting ready for BP, and like, how did I, how did I get here? So it's yeah. like, it's you know, cool. it, it, it was, it was something that I'll always remember, and it was a great experience. And it's like, 
it's memories like that that really like you'll cherish as as you get go through the, this industry and, and wind up wind up retiring. So yeah, to your point, you know, there's there's a lot of long hours, nights, and weekends, but those are the memories that, that make it certainly worthwhile. And so you'll see, after spending 20 years with the A's, you end up moving across the bay to the San Francisco Giants. And so why was that the right move for you? <laughs> it, it's that was an amazing move for me. Um, the fact that it was from the A's to the Giants was, I, I mean, I don't know how I actually pulled it off. <laughs> um, because they are. You're they in are sales. In market rivals, in market <laughs> rivals. But um, when that opportunity popped up, it was not one I ever envisioned would. And it was something that I felt like, you know, at that time, it was probably right for me to. You know, I spent 20 years, I understood, and I've worked on a lot of parts of the business for the Oakland A's, but how do I grow then as a professional and experience different things without compromising what was also important to me, and that was raising children and being close to family and and living in the Bay Area? And so the opportunity with the Giants, you know, while I never envisioned it would happen, it was one that presented itself, and, and I would not look back. I mean, sitting during that two and a half years there, just even sitting in like weekly leadership meetings and like looking around the room at the amazing talent they had there. Um, it was, it gave me a chance to, to, to take like my, my kind of Oakland hustle and hard work and like, yeah. and, and then understand how the business is being run and, you know, a ballpark like Oracle ballpark with amazing professionals there, like just sitting, watching Larry conduct a meeting or, you know, listening to someone like Mario Aliotto, who's been in this business forever, talk about the fun business. And, you know, it just felt like I needed that to become more complete professional. And I needed to be in that oper- in that environment to grow and continue to push myself to, to new heights professionally. And, you know, I'm not one of these guys that, like, jumped from job to job every two years trying to get that next title. Yep. But this one for me was something really, like, it really complemented the experience I got there really complemented who I was and allowed me to grow. And it was the perfect place with the perfect people and the perfect culture to help, to help shape me into the professional I am today. And I'm sure it got you out of your comfort zone a little bit. And, you know, after spending two and a half years there with the giants, you pull LeBron and you come back home to the ACE uh, where you have now been back for almost a year. So you ultimately kind of just talked about why you moved to the Giants, and you probably got a great learning experience over those couple of years. Why, why the return home? I guess you'd say I, I'm LeBron with no rings, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm still looking for that. For that, and it wasn't time. like you went to, from Miami back to Cleveland, so yeah, there's yeah, a little bit difference true. there. That's true. Um, no, I. You know, when I left the A's the first time um, and took the role with the Giants, I, I I never imagined that you know I'd come back to the A's. And after 20 years at, at an organization, you know, obviously my kids grew up there, uh, bat boys in spring training, and like we were just the dad being gone on the weekends and night games and the sacrifice for the A's and the organization that I put in for 20 years. It was like, that was a great chapter. We closed it and moved on. Um, But when I sat down with Dave Cavill and really just discussed what a return could potentially look like and, and how kind of my skill set would help fill some gaps that were there in the organization, it, it just felt right. Um, You know, and, and I'm fortunate to to come back into a, a situation where there's an amazing leadership team led by Dave, and you know there's some really good people on that on, 
on that team. And we have high expectations for where we're going to go in the future and the, and the roadmap for the organization. And it's like, you know, I'm guessing if I was at the giants and the, you know, like, and the A's opened up a brand new building at the time, or, you know, they won a world series or two at the time, like, I would have felt a little bit like, man, I spent 20 years and missed out on that. So right. I didn't want any regrets. And, and if I was going to come back in a role that really suited me and, and work closely with, with the leadership team to try to create something amazing here in Oakland, like it was, it was kind of a no brainer. And I'll give a lot of credit to the Giants. Like uh, they, they, they understood my perspective on this and were really supportive in, in, in that change. And even though it was in market and we do, you know, we're essentially competing on ticket sales and, and stuff like that. I, I, uh, it shows what type of professionals they are on both sides to, you know, allow me to go back and forth uh, and yeah. grow personally and contribute to the good of the organization. And I mean, I couldn't be, I couldn't be luckier to, to have people on both sides in my, in my corner. Yeah. Just say you worked for two really good organizations, and you know, Steve, you you and I met almost a decade ago now, which which seems crazy. And you know, and what I've always admired about you and respected about you and the business you run, you've consistently been on the forefront of many of our industry, you know, innovative initiatives with whether it be dynamic pricing, mobile ticketing, some of your premium product, and, and kind of what that landscape looks like, subscription models. So. Ultimately, for you and your team, why is it always important for you to be on the forefront with some of these unique and innovative ideas? You know, I guess I look at innovation, Travis, as an overall mindset. I mean, that kind of drives your day to day. So, you know, the whatever innovation you're able to push the market and that actually becomes successful because not everything you try is going to be successful. It's like that's the output of like your day to day mindset on growth and on understanding and working hard and understanding like what's the next big thing or what's the market going to need and what are we going to need to continue to succeed. So, you know, innovation is, is important. It's like without it, you're, you're, you know, you're going to continue to do the same thing over and over again. And, and frankly, uh, and you know, this from your days in baseball, it's like, you can go through a year of baseball and just restart that cycle over again and go through the same process and restart the cycle over again. To me, that wasn't always like the preferred path. I wanted to think like, how could we make things better? And I was very lucky at both places I worked that, you know, they fostered that type of thinking and mentality, like make things better um, and innovate and create. And, uh, you know, that they gave me the the freedom to do that. So it's always been part of my DNA and, and always hired people around me that, that felt the same way. No, that's awesome. You've had a ton of success. And, and so congrats on that and, and certainly future success. And Steve, in addition to your day-to-day job, you've also immersed yourself in other organizations to, to ultimately help give back. You're a member of the University of Kansas Sports Management Board, a founding member of the Bay Area Professional Ticketing Association, and an active participant in the annual Sports Technology Award. So from your perspective, why is it important for you to give back and you know immerse yourself in some of these other community and you know kind of team-wide initiatives? Um, specifically for me, it's, it's, you know, I didn't know what career path as we talked about that I was going to go down and, and I needed someone to, to believe in me and I needed someone like Ray Christ, I guess, early on in my career to sit down and really talk about and mentor me and help push me in a, in a good direction. And I've been fortunate that I've worked around a lot of great professionals and, and they were helping my career every step of the way. 
Um, I feel like, especially even with college students, like, and I have a, a freshman in college now and a junior in high school, so it's even more closer to me. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be there to help and support, and I'm always willing to to take that call and to provide any type of advice or even any level of mentorship that that anyone would be looking for that's looking to take that same step that I did. Um, you know, it, and again, it's like as you're going through that this journey of life, like the importance of giving back and the importance of like staying connected like to, to that younger generation. It's like, they're the ones that are going to continue to carry this torch. So, you know, I need to invest back into, into that group and through my, through the university of Kansas. And, you know, I would much prefer to, you know, not sit on a board, which I do sit on the board there for the sport management program, but not sit on a board and just talk about policy or whatever. I would prefer to talk to each individual student, see what they're looking for and help guide them the best I possibly could, or give them another, another perspective on things and to help shape their careers. And I guess it's like, I love coaching. Like if I didn't do this, I think I would probably like, I'd want to be a coach. I follow your dad's footsteps. Follow my dad's footsteps. I, you know, I spent time coaching. Like I I love the coaching piece Uh, and this, even working in ticketing and working with that, that young sales team, it, it gives me the opportunity to coach and fill that, that even that personal need I have. And that's awesome. And Steve, and that's exactly why you're in the, the role you're in and why you've had the career you've had. And, and this has been great, ton of great insight. And so to close it out here on 52 weeks, also, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Steve, if you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? I'm going to get in trouble if I don't say uh, my mom's meatballs, I think. (laughs) My mom's a Gian Caterino, born and raised in South Philly. She's the best cook that I've out there. There's no one better. Um, And meatballs are one of these things where I love to cook. Like cooking to me is I've watched her in the kitchen since I was a young kid. But you can't replicate her meatballs, man. Like they are just the best. And and I think because because, like meatballs are made with love, like you can you can't, that's not an ingredient I can buy at Safeway, I'll tell you. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably it. I've, I got to go with my mom's meatballs. You know, a lot of my guests have been sending me goodie baskets of, of food, things like that. So I expect that uh, to come my way. <laughs> be on the lookout. They may be yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Steve, if, if you were, uh, you know, a superhuman, you know, what would your superpower be and why? That's a good one. Um, I would say probably superhuman strength. Okay. And the reason being for this is, uh, I probably if I was if I had that superpower, I'd probably be a candidate to be a DH in the in the in the American League. So and, and I think <laughs> it's better than working in the ticket office. So that yeah. would probably be it. There you go. I love it. And so you know, I guess back to to your mother's cooking. Um, you know, I assume she's going to cook some great meatballs, and then you get the choice of having dinner with two people. Who would they be? Um, so first one, no brainer, Frank Sinatra. I'd probably, yeah, I yeah. just see what the heck that dude did back in the day. That would be amazing. Um, and then uh, Andy Reid, probably. He's okay. uh current Chiefs head coach. Yep. I consider Andy, I'd never met him, um, which someday I hope to, but I consider him probably the greatest football coach of all time. Just he's willing to take a chance on people. Yep. He manages the game with, with I mean, he, he's just one of the best 
all-time football coaches, but but he's also someone that's been through some adversity personally as well, right? Um, and has always handled it with grace. Uh, I think he'd be amazing to yeah. sit down with. That'd I be wonder, a fun, and he'd probably enjoy eating too. That'd <laughs> be a fun dinner. I, I'd like to be the server of that one. Yeah. Um, well, again, you know, to to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day, Steve? Um, first thing is is easy. Just understand the value of relationships. Uh, and you need to really invest in your relationships. I, I think that's who—that's what we have, especially in the sports industry. It's such a small industry, Travis. It's yeah. like we need to invest in our relationships and understand the value of them in order to personally grow and for us to be to be the best we can possibly be at work. Um, the second one, I guess, if you're in a position to hire, uh, make sure you hire the most diverse staff possible. And this is. You know, bringing diversity of thought to the table. Um, I, without it, like you, we can't innovate and create and be better. And 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 I think sometimes, like the hiring process is very very difficult. Um, but if you look at it for, through the right lens, you're going to bring the right people to the table, and and you're going to be able to make a real difference with with running your business. And then finally. Uh, the work-life balance thing you mentioned earlier, I, I think I think work-life balance is important. Um, obviously, baseball it's extremely grinding. Um, six months out of the year, night games, weekends, whatever. Um, you know, I, I'll give it to my wife. She's just amazing partner that helped raise children while there was you know ten day homestands and back to back weekends where you know I get up in the morning and come home at night. So. It's like having that work-life balance uh, and prioritizing it without like trying to chase a title, like keeping, keeping the bigger picture in mind, I guess is, is a good way to put it. And great advice, great advice throughout, but certainly key to, to maintaining those relationships, uh, hiring the diverse people to, to really be innovative and take your organization to the elite level and having that work-life balance. And again, Steve, I can't thank you so much. You know, you've had a great career. It's always a pleasure talking to you and I really appreciate your time and expertise today. Travis, I appreciate being on. It was great talking to you too, man. Again, this is Travis Apple, and thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Two thousand twenty has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you can. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire.